You're listening to the Sexual Wellness Sessions with Kate Moyle. This final episode of Series 1 of the Sexual Wellness Sessions was brought to you by Ellen Terry, the luxury lingerie and intimate lifestyle brand designed uniquely for women. As well as an e-commerce store, Ellen Terry provides content resources and a social community of empowering and sex-positive brands, advocates and shoppers. Their platform celebrates sensuality by sourcing diverse, high-quality items from luxury lingerie and next-generation sex toys to intimate wellness accessories and body care. Created by women for women, their range is about helping you to reclaim your body, own your sensuality and feel good in your own skin. So my amazing guest today on the Sexual Wellness Sessions final episode for season one is Ruby Rare, sex educator, ambassador for Brooke and soon to be author of Sex Ed, A Guide for Adults, which is out on the 29th of October. And I can absolutely testify to the fact that this book is amazing and is so needed because I'm the person that did the sense read of it. Um, And Ruby really is a sex positive queen in my eyes, which is why I wanted to bring her on for this episode to end the series on a high, talking about sex positivity, everything that it means, what it stands for, the misconceptions of it. Because for me, a huge part of creating sexual wellness sessions was all about sex positivity and challenging a largely sex negative culture. So Ruby, hi, thank you so much for joining us for today. Hi, I mean, thank you for having me. Thanks for saying such lovely things. Oh, I don't, <laughs> no word of a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I was so thrilled um, that you were able to read it before because obviously I think you were amazing. So um, yeah, very nice to hear that you re- you enjoyed the book and I'm excited for people to read it. Oh gosh, so am I. I think it's brilliant. Um, and I'm enormously flattered that you think my work is amazing. Um, <laughs> but I guess I really wanted to, like, as I said, I think this idea of like, what is sex positive? What does it mean? What do we understand by the word sex positive? Um, is something that I really wanted to, I suppose, like untangle with this conversation. Um, yeah. And I would love to know like what your definition of sex positive is as a way of kicking it off. I mean... Sex positive is a word that I've used for so long. And actually, it wasn't until I was writing the book that I really sat down and thought about what it means to me, because it is a word, well, two words, but it's a phrase that you hear a lot of the time. And it to the point where it can kind of lose its meaning sometimes for me. So I did a little sort of checklist in the book of if you tick these things it means that you have a sex positive mindset, which is very nice. Um, And a lot of it is around kind of believing that consensual sex is a healthy part of life and that people should be able to make choices about their own bodies and about the sex that they want to have um, and not be judged by other people, by services. You know, a lot of this is, as I think (laughs) as we'll continue talking throughout, a lot of this, a lot of sex positivity is actually quite unsexy. It's talking mm. about like healthcare and mental health and people's human rights, as well as all of the fun, juicy stuff. So I definitely wanted to include that. And I guess a big part of sex positivity for me is around curiosity. Mm. It doesn't mean that you need to be the one who's going and doing every single sexual thing under the sun. That is 
definitely not what sex positivity is in my mind. But I guess it's a sort of a a constant curiosity for what sex can be in our lives and what it can be in other people's lives and a celebration of the really beautiful parts of that and also acknowledging the challenging aspects of that and kind of a commitment to work together to improve them in the best ways that we can. Mm, I love that. And I um, think my three kind of key ingredients for a good sex life are curiosity, communication and lube. And so I love that curiosity (laughs) bit because I think that the, and, you know, I think that there is kind of a statement to be made here, which is that we kind of live in a society and a culture which has always historically been quite sex negative or quite sex kind of invisible or sex hidden, if we want to talk about it like that. And for people that are struggling with getting to a sex positive place, that kind of feeling neutral about sex is not a bad place to be in terms of kind of accepting like this is where I am and I'm feeling like okay about it but maybe not hugely positive or overwhelmingly positive but accepting kind of where I'm at and I think that it's also acknowledging that a neutrality around sex is also not a bad thing or a bad place for people to be but on that journey might be where some people kind of pause and but the the kind of negativity that we experience around sex, we internalise so much of kind of what is said and unsaid that it can take a, quite a bit of working through. Yeah, I think it's the whole like uh, the conversation around language with like the way that we use negative and positive really interests me. And mm. I I my main like bread and butter stuff is sex education and working in sexual health. But I also do lots of stuff within the body positive community. And I, me and my work wife, Rosie Pendle Baby, uh, have a body positive life drawing class, which is very much about like celebrating nudity in non-sexual ways. And I think in body positivity, there's this really interesting thing of saying like, actually, should it be body neutrality? Because you don't need to be feeling positive all the time. It's not about every day jumping out of bed and being like, yippee, I'm gorgeous and I feel amazing and everything is perfect. Um, And I, I really agree with that and I think that's definitely sort of the flavour of body positivity neutrality whatever you want to call it that I have Mm. but I do feel really strongly when it comes to sex that we are so bombarded with catastrophically negative and shameful messages from almost every angle as we grow up that I I really I don't know why but I feel sort of more uh I feel slightly more passionate about the use of sex positive within this context than when we're talking about bodies there's a lot of crossover I'm still I've said that and now I need to go away and have a think about if I (laughs) if I actually fully mean that but I do you know there's a big part of this conversation is acknowledging the like colossal amounts of shame that so many of us carry around and that's Mm. and I'm speaking from personal experience as well as professional like it's very I um, I have a really lovely relationship with sex and I feel very happy with the sex that I have and kind of the, the sexual space I've created in my personal life. But at the same time, there's a lot of, of shame and weird repressed stuff from my past that still comes up and is still entering that. So being sex positive isn't a isn't a kind of like level. It's not like reaching the summit of a mountain and being like, well, I'm here now. Great. I've done it all. Yeah. Everything is fine. There are never going to be any problems. It's it's a kind of 
it's a commitment for the rest of your life. Ongoing project, yeah. Yeah. I think I often talk to people about that kind of in psychosexual therapy. It's like, okay, we've got you to where you need to be for now. Perhaps that's enough. You know, how are you going to continue this? How are you going to continue this progress? How are you going to continue your, I, I kind of hate this word, but journey. Um, but I think that it's about, okay, so how do you take this forward and make it really work for you, for where you're at for where you're going to be, understanding that things can change, understanding that, you know, you might have done the work for now, but there might be stuff that comes up in future. And I think it is about this idea. And I, I, I think one of the things I feel like I talk about a lot is how we kind of feel like we're constantly searching for this magic formula for sex. And it's like, if we just get it, then sex will forever be amazing. And we've just got <laughs> it sorted. And that just so isn't the case because... Nothing else in life is static. We change, our situations change, our context changes, our sex life changes, our relationships change. We go through hormonal changes, bodily changes, you know. And But we still seem to have this narrative, which is that if we follow all these key steps, then we'll just get to the place that sex needs to be and then we'll be sorted. And um, yeah. for me, it's this constant kind of, evolving and nurturing and working on and that makes it sound like it's really hard work it doesn't all have to be like that it's more a okay well this is what's working for me for now and let's see where we are next month let's see where we are next year yeah and it's about being kind to yourself as well like I sort of Mm. I think if we were all a little bit better at being able to like nurture ourselves and give ourselves a hug with where we're at right now things I know that that's an oversimplification because some things are really complicated and and really challenging. But I do think that initial just like being kind and being warm to yourself in the way that you would be to a friend if they came to you with a problem. Uh, Because we're we're not often encouraged to think of ourselves in that way when actually, you know, this is it's it's continually evolving. And I think we we're very much all of the messages that surround sex, particularly as adults, and I'm, and I'm talking from UK experience because we're in a fairly sexually progressive country. Mm. So I can, I'm talking from my experience because I've only ever lived in the UK. And so many of the messages that I get as an adult are really, really kind of counterintuitive because I spent my childhood and my teenage years being told by lots of people that sex was a bad thing and that like my pleasure was not very important that sex was something that was quite scary and lots of things could go wrong uh, with like STIs and pregnancy mm-hmm. and even if it wasn't saying I, I wasn't brought up in a space that was saying you will go to hell or you're sinning from mm-hmm. doing this but there was still a lot of shame and a lot of adults telling me this is something you shouldn't be doing. And yet Mm. when you get to adulthood, it just kind of changes overnight. And it's really destabilizing because all of a sudden it's like, you should be having the most amazing sex and here's how to squirt and here's how to fist someone. And this, have you tried this thing? Have you done this yet? You should be like all of this stuff. And it's really overwhelming the pressure that we suddenly put ourselves on having not acknowledged all of the shame that we could have inherited from younger Mm. years that we've actually not processed yet. So it's just yeah. stacking difficult things on top of another. And yeah, a lot of the messages that I I see are around reaching that perfect spot that you're talking about. 
Like mm. this is the moment when you tick all the boxes where finally you're just going to have really good sex and that will be the same forever. And mm. we know that's not true and it's not helpful to think like that because then we're all going to end up really disappointed and feeling like we're not good enough. And we all totally are. Yeah. <laughs> I just literally am like nodding along furiously. But I think it's also this expectation that we become a sexual person so you know which yeah. we know sexual development starts from kind of you know when we're a couple of years old and is a natural part of um growing up but kind of changes in different stages and the NSPCC website has really good information on kind of the sexual development of young people like throughout the ages but it's also about suddenly we become sexual or allowed to be sexual in the eyes of you know who knows, society, I suppose, um, or the law. And we are expected to immediately be an expert and for our partners to immediately be experts and without much help or advice. And I think that's what, I guess, it feels like you're saying is it's this clash of kind of don't talk about it, don't see it, don't do it. But then as soon as it's kind of the green light to do it, to talk about it, to be sexual, we're expected to, with no training, education, help to suddenly be experts in yeah. sex. And you get, like, I think that there are, not everyone um, who is an adult now will have had any form of sex education when they were younger. Some people would have mm. done. My sex ed was fine, but fairly shoddy. Um, and but I, but I did get information about STIs and about contraception and pregnancy. So I did know that. But by the time I was actually becoming a sexual person with other people, I had had no education at all about how to communicate any of that stuff. Like any mm. of the kind of the sort of more health side, but also how to communicate with someone as you were navigating a sexual situation. And that is something that we miss out. I mean, even still with the um, the new relationship and sex education guidance, which has mm. come into, uh, I was about to say come into play, whatever, <laughs> we'll, roll, we'll roll with that, come into play uh, as of this month in England. Yeah. In all of the guidance, pleasure is not a word that is used once. Mm. so pleasure is not used but also like a lot of stuff around communication is is still really lacking and still something that we need to improve a lot because yeah it's all very well knowing some of the sciencey stuff that's obviously really important but really it's like how do people apply that to life yeah and how and how do people sort of hopefully encourage themselves and encourage other people to be vulnerable and to have honest conversations and to not always be feel like they need to be perfect whatever that looks like Mm. um because I think for me particularly in my personal experience like sex gets better when you stop trying to perform in a way that you think you should be performing yeah so that's a, a big message in this book I guess and something that I've taught for a really long time is around trying to let go of how you think you should be doing sex Mm -hmm. and instead just really thinking about what is right for me and the other people in my sexual life right now and how do we go about creating something that works for us Mm. so I talk a lot about um should sex and how kind of like it's a bit like no more should sex like and it's I guess what I'm hearing you say when you're saying that is 
it's not about having sex in a way that you think you should or because you should, but because you want to enjoy it and experience pleasure and have fun and you're doing it for yourself. And by nature of doing that for yourself and doing it for the right reasons, you're actually benefiting your partner as well. Whereas when you're kind of performing or being sexual in a way that you think you should be seen or should be or what expectations might be actually does everyone a disservice yeah totally it's always really Mm. nice thinking about um I've started a few workshops with this before of thinking about why people have sex Mm. and I've done I've done this with young people when I used to go into schools and teach relationship and sex education I've done it with professionals when I've run trainings and I've done it with workshops for adults and it's always really interesting the answers that you get because there's all the obvious first ones, like to have a baby for pleasure. Two great answers. Um, but actually, as you break down and kind of go into the more nuanced answers, that's the stuff that's really fascinating because we never talk about that. Like, yeah. you know, talking about you sex being used as a tool for reconciliation after an argument. Mm. And it, there's, you know, there's the kind of whole Hollywood thing of being like, oh, the the sex after an argument is like really hot and sexy even though you're still furious with each other I'm sure that that is a type of sex that we can have but also like you know something slightly more nurturing and healing like sex can be used as a tool when people are grieving it's you Mm -hmm. know and then and then we have all of the other reasons like you know some people for some people having sex is about financial exchange for some people it's about survival it's like there are there are loads of different reasons and I just think we become more informed people the more that we think about that Mm. I just want people to talk about this more (laughs) no 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 there's an amazing (laughs) study um that I love which is called why humans have sex and it was done um by David Buss and Cindy Meston in 2007. And I feel like anyone who's listened to the previous episodes will be kind of thinking, yes, we all know about this. <laughs> I don't know about this. I, I need to read this. <laughs> it's an amazing study and it's called Why Humans Have Sex. And they did it on um, students in America. And they categorised 237 reasons that people said they had motivations for why they had sex. And there were also things like mate guarding. So if I don't have sex with my partner, they'll have sex with someone else one of them was to keep warm one of them was because um they looked really hot one was because um revenge you know it's and I think that it's all of those motivations and for me I'm always talking about the why of sex not just the what of sex you know actually the what kind of the practicalities of how we do it yes it's important but really the why the the headspace the psychology of sex is by far the bigger differentiator for why we're doing what we're doing yeah gosh that's such a nice like that's such an interesting way of thinking about it I'm gonna go away and um get my sex nerd on and read that study but I guess um something that you and I have talked about before and that I um think is really important that we cover in this episode as well is how sex positivity has become a movement. And, you know, lots of people would say it's it's been there for a long time and um, that obviously feminism has kind of played a big role in kind of establishing a broader conversation around women's sexuality particularly and um, women's bodies and how we are sexual and kind of taking ownership of that. But something that you were describing to me, which I found really interesting, was this 
also divide in or divide or split or sitting on both sides of being sex positive personally and then being sex positive publicly, which is, you know, you're an influencer in this space and you very much have kind of, I suppose, made a name for yourself and now writing the book about being sex positive. But where those two worlds collide or where they cross over or where they don't. And I know as a therapist, sometimes um, I can kind of like laugh at myself because I'm like, oh God, I'm being so hypocritical. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not following my own advice you know or if I was talking to someone else I would be kind of I should you know practice what I preach a bit more and I think that there is also this very like sex positive movement online but also a sex positive movement kind of behind closed doors and I suppose how do people navigate that or how do people who are thinking that they want to move into being more public about it or kind of move into the sexual health space do that safely for them as well yeah totally it's such a juicy question isn't it and I mm. I think I could I do a whole episode on just that question no I? I know I know well we've got we've got time we can we can do some good <laughs> unpacking here uh I have been thinking about this a lot this year actually I think writing the book was really interesting because it's the biggest it's the most long-form thing I've done so mm. far And it was, you know, I've been working in sexual health for, I can't, I've lost track, five years, maybe six years now, coming up to six years, which is really exciting for me. And a lot of that time has been me being like really stuck into sexual health in a a very unglamorous way that I think if you looked at my Instagram now, you would not be able to see (laughs) because Mm. I you know I think there's there's a lot of the kind of a lot of the conversations about sort of real life stuff and the the way that we the the way that we talk about different things online and on social media that whole wider conversation definitely applies to sex positivity yeah and so it, it was it was really interesting writing the book and just being able to put a lot of this um knowledge and learning that I've had over a long period of time into something and I realized I do I share a lot of stuff online and I think it's a fantastic tool and a really amazing place to start conversations and to get people it's a it's quite a safe space for people to pick up this information Mm. and I get for lots of people that's the easiest way for them to learn yeah but I think there's a real benefit to learning about subjects that you're really interested in in other ways as well because there's Mm. so much I mean I'm I'm talking about my book a bit because that's the thing that's very much in my brain right now but there are lots of (laughs) there are other like amazing books as well there's so much more that you can get out of that than just scrolling through like through social media Mm. and and actually having that time when you're on your own like holding a book or uh, like an ebook or whatever it is, or like listening to an audiobook, and that being sort of a personal moment for you and this information and giving you time to reflect. I don't think we really get that very much when we're online because we're always mm. then looking at the next thing or like we get a message from someone else, from a friend pop up on our phone or like it's really, it's very, very stimulating. Whereas yeah. I hope that with other forms of media, 
we're able to kind of have slightly more uh, conversations and thought process that are like slightly deeper. So that really mm. that really excites me because I I love being online. I love the community that is online as a kind of as a queer person, as a woman, as a non-monogamous person. There are real communities that speak to me and that I'm a part yeah. of particularly on Instagram and I'm really grateful for that but I I think that in order to get the most out of online spaces you need to invest a lot of time in your offline spaces as well Mm. because I I don't think I would be a very happy person if I was only getting messages and like having those conversations purely through a screen I think it's really beneficial to do it in other ways as well when possible Mm. Um, and part of that as well is having like the less slightly less uh yeah again again kind of going back to the slightly less glamorous side of it as well if you know like talking talking to a friend and having a sort of more difficult conversation about the real nuances of asking for what you want when you're having sex with a partner mm-hmm. versus being able to go online and to kind of speak about it in a really celebratory way which is which has maybe slightly less nuance to it I'm kind of I'm, I think I'm at a place right now where I'm really interested in comparing the two and kind of seeing mm. and feeling what I get from the online and the offline spaces. Yeah. And as you said, like one of the most kind of satisfying things that you did was kind of stand in a youth centre and hand out condoms. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like I love I really. Well, it's interesting because I've not been working. I still do. I'm, I'm still sort of involved in Brooke and I'm incredibly proud to be one of their ambassadors now. But I've, I stopped working for them about six months ago and I really really miss working in a sexual health charity I didn't think Mm -hmm. I would as much as I do because it's it's people who are just completely dedicated to sexual health and yeah will do the standing around in a shopping centre handing out condoms will have the awkward conversations with professionals who just really don't understand the concept of um (laughs) trans existence for example or abortion it's like okay cool we're gonna have a fun conversation about this um but in a professional respectful way um i i really love that and uh, and being able to learn about like government policy and about local government all of that stuff i had no idea when i entered this that that i would get so much out of that i just wanted to be able to talk to young people about relationships and sex in a really positive way Mm. but so it's really benefited me kind of seeing seeing this from different angles and I think that we can all I think everyone can really benefit from just being mindful of that it doesn't mean that like I'm, I'm in no way criticizing the online space because I think that it is such a powerful tool and such an exciting place to be mm. but I guess it's always thinking about like and what else what else can we do to yeah. make sure that we're we're really like benefiting ourselves and looking after our mental health as well because we as we all know like social media is a real double-edged sword mm, <laughs> and I have culture. to yeah I have to like step away from it sometimes to be able to kind of clear my head because it's really easy to get sucked in just as like a sort of like in a sort of consumery way um but like yeah it's it's an amazing space but we've also got to think about the other spaces that we can mm. communicate in and I think I often talk to, I mean, anyone who'll listen, <laughs> but, um, people I'm working <laughs> with, or if I'm um, speaking to the media about things, I always say, you know, for me, sex education is an across the lifetime, comes in a variety of different formats. 
um, thing. And we can, you know, I often recommend that people listen to podcasts, that they watch TED Talks, that they read books, that they read articles, but that what they are consuming, that they think critically about, or at least look into a bit more. So for example, if an article is written in response to a news piece? Is it written in response to a piece of research? Is it Was that research sponsored by a brand or a product? Um, thinking about sometimes what the aim of what is being written has, or is it designed to kind of entice? And one of the things that, um, you know, I, again, feel like I say a lot, is that pornography, so, you know, gets such a bad rep a lot of the time, but it has also offered a lot of people who felt that their sexuality was, you know, marginalised or strange or they feared that they were the only person that felt like that, it has offered them a way of seeing that they are not the only person that feels like that or actually what they are fantasising about is something which isn't that uncommon. But also that it became used as an educational tool when it wasn't designed to be one. It was designed to arouse. It was designed to create arousal. And lots of people started to lean on it as an educational tool because there was a gap where the education, at least a fulfilling kind of informative, um, consistent education should have been. And, you know, we hope that with the new education kind of guidelines being brought in this year, that that will start to improve. But that that sex, you know, again, if we go back to the, the title, I suppose, of today is like being sex positive, that I think a big thing of sex positivity is also noticing where those gaps are for example so thinking okay well I can understand why that might happen but actually there's a gap here so how do I fill that gap is it reading a book watching a TED talk listening to multiple voices multiple perspectives because the other thing is that so often we have our own narrative or our own perspective and that can give us tunnel vision And so listening to multiple voices or multiple stories or opening it up a bit can be something really helpful because it can help to shape our views in a slightly different way or take us on an, an investigative route, if that makes sense. And we can go, okay, well, I understand all of that. It's not for me, but it's okay for other people to do. So what is it that works for me? And that can take us down somewhere completely different. I suppose it's quite explorative. Absolutely. I really, I really like the, I am so happy living in my sex positive queer non-monogamous bubble. It makes me very happy. I like, I could easily just never leave that sphere and just be like, these are the only people who exist in the world. And this is amazing. But Mm. I, I kind of have to make myself leave that bubble as often as possible, because that's a very small part of the world that's not how a lot of people communicate that's not how a lot of things operate and I think I in order to be the best educator I can be I need to acknowledge that and I need to like not just stay in my little safe space so I I really like this is um I'm always nervous saying this to someone from a therapy background of being like oh god there's going to be stuff here that you you could so easily (laughs) look into if you um I really love listening to podcasts and reading books about sex from quite hardcore Christian perspectives because I find it really fascinating. And I, mm. there is a podcast of four 
older American ladies who chat about sex in like a godly way in their marriages. And they're amazing because and at first it was almost I I was expecting it to be something that was quite that was so different to my own experience that it would almost maybe mm. be funny and actually every time I listen I learn so much and I'm so fascinated even though I'm like I'm not a religious person I'm not I haven't been brought up in a really Christian way but it actually informs my understanding of other people's mm. perspectives really well and I and I love like I love going on like the sort of no fat subreddits and which is like guys mostly who have identified a dependency or mm. like a, a, on masturbating and on watching porn and so sort of do a sort of weird counteractive thing of like well then I will never watch porn or, mas- or masturbate yeah. ever again. It's like again. a cold turkey approach. Isn't yeah it? and then they get all this like sort of weird power from it and and again it's like those conversations are really important to see. I I love that and I think that we need to give more voices more room for those voices. It's very interesting to me how in the sex positive space, men are quite uh, marginalised, maybe isn't the right word to say there, but you you don't see that. There are not many men within sex positivity. There are not many male voices or male perspectives. Mm. And I'm really passionate about that changing because we can't have this conversation just with part of the population. Yeah. It needs and it's not just men, you know, there are so many like there are so many things that we need to be thinking about with sexual health in particular, thinking about race, like decolonizing contraception are amazing with mm. with that. And amazing. just actually saying like, no, come on, we need we really need to reshape this and relook at it in, in quite radical different ways. But the the men's voice is always something I'm very interested in there. Um and another thing actually, as you were talking, it made me it made me think a lot about the difference between sexual liberation and sex positivity. Mm. And I don't quite know how much, I do feel like there's quite a big difference between them because for me at least, sexual liberation feels like a fairly personal journey and someone being exposed to these more positive, inclusive pleasure focused messages around sex and learning Mm. from them and integrating those aspects into their own life and that is such a powerful important thing for people to do and that is like every time I speak to people who have been impacted who positively impacted by sort of social media spaces to make those changes in their their lives I just think that's incredibly beautiful and it often makes me cry because I'm a weird emotional person Um, (laughs) but but, and that's a, a massive part of sex positivity. But for me, sex positivity is kind of broader than that. And it encompasses a lot of that research that you're talking about and thinking critically about the, the messages that we receive and where they're coming from and why we're being given them. And thinking about healthcare in general and thinking about people's rights and thinking about how, not only how we talk about sex in our personal everyday conversations, but how how this stuff is written into law and Mm. like how these services get funded you know all of those like much sort of bigger picture things for me sex positivity is about that a lot of the time and I'm I'm feeling myself more and more drawn to talking about that because that's not the bit that you tend to see at at first glance no absolutely and I think 
you know, for me, the whole focus of me having these conversations and setting up the podcast and hosting the Instagram interviews was because I feel like if we had these conversations more outside the therapy room, I would have to have them less inside the therapy room. And, you know, in a way, I'm kind of doing myself out of a job <laughs> because, <laughs> but I, you know, in an ideal world, people wouldn't be coming for psychosexual therapy because we would have less difficulties and challenges and problems with sex because it wouldn't be so taboo. It wouldn't be so shame ridden. It wouldn't be so problematic for so many people. And I think that that is something that really requires a huge shift. And I think the internet has done such a big thing, both for the positive and the negative, you know, and I think I get asked a lot, you know, overwhelmingly, would you say it's a good thing or a bad thing, the pros of social media versus the cons? And the the simple answer is there is no simple answer. Um, yeah, that there are both kind of sides of the coin. Um, but I guess how would, and this is a huge and no big <laughs> one answer question, but how do you think that, and I just, I don't know if there is a straightforward answer, but how do people become more sex positive or sex neutral or how do people improve that um, sexual mindset or headspace? You know, how, how do you think that people can, can do that? Because I'd imagine most people listening to this, that's what they're looking for, uh, yeah. pointers or things to think about or things that they can do or implement into their lives. That's such a good question. I mean, the first thing, I won't lie, the first thing that I thought was, like, just get really, really good at masturbating. (laughs) (laughs) So the therapy version of that is get to know your body better, build up confidence and be more comfortable. Exactly. And also, I don't, that was uh, very basic terms. What is good at masturbating? That is not a thing. Um, But I, I do think, you know, that's one very, that's like tip of the iceberg stuff is that, if it's something that you are interested in, the sex that we have with ourselves is the the real like foundational starting point for everything mm. else in our so sex So knowing lives. your body. Yeah. So yeah, really understanding your body and I guess becoming more, all of this takes time. So there's no, I think a lot of the time if people are new to these ideas, there is that sort of immediacy of like, oh my God, I must consume all of the podcasts and the books and read Mm. all the things and look at everything on Instagram and Twitter and do all of these things in my life overnight. I'm going to buy like 20 sex toys. I'm going to like (laughs) do do all of this stuff. And, you know, if that's the way that you want to go, please be my guest. That sounds like a a hectic, but really fun. Like a sex positive binge. Yeah. It's like a boot camp or something. Um, (laughs) But I think feeling your way through it and acknowledging that this stuff takes time is really nice. Like mm. you, you, as you approach this as a new way of looking at this part of your life, it's helpful to know that this is going to take time and evolve. Yeah. And it also will with the other people in your life. You know, some mm. people might already be there with you and you can like be buddies together as you're going through this sex positive boot camp. There'll be other people in your life who maybe need a bit longer yeah. to get behind it. And that's not them being too slow that's them being Mm. at their own pace so it's kind of it's also 
I guess it goes back to that being kind to yourself and the other people around Mm. you. Like this isn't stuff that just happens overnight. This is, you know, for a lot of people, there is so much vulnerability tied up to sex. There is lots, you know, I'm, I'm a survivor of sexual assault. That's a really, that's a really complicated thing to navigate alongside with being particularly an outward facing, very sex positive person. And Mm. It's it is something that takes time and it isn't just a like straight trajectory. It changes and it, it weaves yeah, and turns around all the time. And I think acknowledging that as you go into it is really important. And I guess a, a good practical piece of advice, if you are someone who really benefits from like data collecting in some way. So like reading, listening to podcasts, scrolling through different people that you follow's pages, uh, my my tip is to limit your limit the stuff that feels like it's really sort of safe and really speaks directly to you that you consume mm-hmm. because the more voices and experiences and communities that you are switching into and hopefully you know like showing up for in terms of your time but also in terms of your money like going to workshops and yeah. like buying people's books and all, like all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um the better, the more sort of well-rounded a sex positive person you will be because sex positivity is not something that should just benefit your identity. It's kind of, we we need to make sure that the most uh, marginalised communities, the people who who potentially might be the most vulnerable are are within our own definition and understanding yeah, of sex positivity. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that I also really want to add to that is I think that... Um, sometimes we can hook on to something like sex positivity and be like, right, that's the thing I want to change. You know, That's the thing I want to focus on. I think a lot of people have felt like that across the kind of lockdown period. They're like, right, this is my moment to listen to all of this stuff, kind of consume mm. this information, learn more, be better, whatever that looks like for them. But then when we go out into the world again and we talk to people, we might find that they don't respond in the way that, we want them to and yeah I've absolutely found that kind of a bit in my work and kind of sometimes I've been talking to people and they're like oh well you don't talk to like those type of people do you or you don't do like that kind of thing and I'm like well yeah of course I do you know like psychosexual therapy is fundamentally about you know normal people with normal problems a lot of the time this isn't anything kind of completely crazy a lot of it is underlined in anxiety and self-confidence and self-esteem and how we feel about ourselves and it's about our experiences not kind of like what's wrong with us nothing and you know it's fundamentally like I'm a bad person it's actually like this happened to me and this is what I'm struggling with or and I think that sometimes you can really feel like you've made massive headway as an individual but then you come up against people that aren't as far forward as you are, aren't as keen in changing their perspectives or aren't interested in learning more. And that can cause a lot of frustration or a lot of kind of disagreements or a lot of kind of clashes of opinions and understanding that, you know, you can just have conversations with people and that you don't have to kind of force them into your way of thinking, but having a conversation in an open way and a way of, okay, well, I can understand why you feel like that or I can understand your opinion or... Well, if that's your experience, but mine is different. And that actually sometimes not kind of like feeling we need to force our sex positivity on other people who aren't ready to do that can push them back a bit sometimes. And that actually having a conversation which is more open 
might leave people with a sense of, okay, I'm going to go away and think about it, or I am going to go and look that up. But it's really difficult because fundamentally we all, I suppose, feel like we're kind of working really hard to change the culture and society and the way these conversations are had, but not everybody is ready to do that. Yeah. And it's and that doesn't mean that they won't be ready tomorrow. Exactly. Like a week or a month or a year. And also mm. and but I do think you're totally right. With with having those conversations with someone who is slightly newer to this topic, maybe either you can have a conversation which can risk them feeling more uh maybe more fearful of the topic that you're trying yeah. to bring up or like this topic does won't include them doesn't speak mm. to them doesn't have space for their opinions or their experiences or what you can do is have a conversation and know that you're not going to change someone's opinion overnight mm-hmm. or bring them yeah. on board but what you can do is is kind of plant a seed for mm. them to go away with and maybe at some point they can like nurture and grow that and develop that in their own time. And exactly. that might involve coming back and asking you. But you it's it's just that kind of gentle, slightly longer term approach that I think has really helped me when, mm. when I've been talking to people. And it's hard because we're really passionate about when we're learning new things and we want to change it. But also it's understanding that, for example, a lot of these conversations are cross-generational and every generation is brought up in a different way, brought up by a generation before who had a different context, different laws, different experiences. And I think that sometimes we can be a bit understanding of that because although we're all where we are now, everyone else isn't and they have their own versions of now and their own versions of childhood or teenagehood or being an adult, their own versions of being brought up, their own versions of home, their own versions of education. And I think that it's about, you know, I suppose we're kind of back to where we started, aren't we? Like sex positive isn't a fixed concept. It's a, I don't know, would you say it's a feeling? Would you say it's a perspective? What would you say? I think it's a perspective more than anything. And it's one thing that I'm so, I feel really, really proud of both of my parents because they are both really good at, uh, remembering what it was like to be younger and to be in a slightly more kind of socially radical place of like thinking these new things and doing new things um and then but haven't helped clung on to what their morals or values were at the time they've just Mm. remembered what that feeling is like so me and my sister are both I don't know we're, we're fair I mean I'm fairly out there you've seen my Instagram I'm like very happy <laughs> running around in my pants and like talking about pegging um but <laughs> I think what's been really nice is that my neither of my parents are like fully absolutely 100% on board know about all this stuff are totally there for it but they are really keen to listen to me and my sister and our friends as a younger generation of mm. actually thinking and and want just again we're going back to curiosity being curious about what the younger generation has done with this with the things that they were talking about and doing Mm. however many years ago and I feel really really passionate about making sure that I do that as I grow older and encouraging other people within my generation to do the same because Mm. you know in 40 years there will be things that without me asking younger people I just won't be able to comprehend and understand like I don't know what they are yet but they'll probably think you know 
if we compare like the way I would maybe look at like a second wave feminism and their attitude to uh well their attitude to actually being quite transphobic and being quite Mm. turfy um that like there will be versions of that for me when I'm older with a younger generation and it's our job my job to make sure that I minimize that as much as possible and I kind of move with I go with the tide of of like Mm. how sex positivity is moving and evolving rather than holding on to what it looks like right now yeah and that really excites me because it's because then it's like I was gonna say it sounds like sex positive then is about awareness yeah totally I think I think that's such a nice way of, of phrasing it it's like it's a perspective of where you're at right now but it's an awareness that that is going to constantly shift and change and and to be excited by the challenge that that brings it would be boring if this was one fixed term and there was no room for debate or growth Mm. I feel I feel super excited to be in this industry and for it to be changing all the time and and for us to all be able to learn from each other I think that's like you know one of the big things that's come up over the last few years around sex positivity is the asexual community coming up and being like uh hi you can be sex positive and not have sex just so that you're all all aware (laughs) and it's like oh my god yeah of course we need to talk about that we need you know people who are on the asexual spectrum but also people who for whatever reason are not in a place to have sex right now or don't want to have sex right now there's suddenly I think there was just this weird expectation for me that sex positivity meant having sex and obviously Mm. that's not true at all I just needed someone else to kind of give me a gentle tap on the shoulder and be like, hey, have you looked at it from this perspective? And that informs yeah. my understanding. And, mm. you know, I I look at those moments and I'm so excited by them rather than feeling uh, scared about the change that that brings. And I kind of, I, I hope that more and more people are able to do that as we, as the, as the whole, whole movement continues to evolve. Oh, yes, I... Literally just, yep, I'm with you every step of the way. (laughs) I'm loving this conversation. And I think, um, you know, for me, I suppose the conversation's kind of come full circle and that probably feels like a really good place for us to to end this episode, this conversation. But the thing that I have asked everyone at the end of their episodes is if you had a tip or, you know, a piece of advice or a takeaway for how someone you know how can we maintain or improve our sexual well-being and sexual wellness given that this is a the sexual wellness sessions um what would what would that be I'm sure we probably covered a lot of it but if there was something you could leave Mm. everyone with I think I'd go back to recognizing the messages that you've received about sex Mm. and really trying to do a deep spring clean of all of that and coming to sex and intimacy from a place of what what do I want and what is the right thing for me and my partners to do right now rather than feeling drawn to the script of what sex should look like what you were talking about the should sex that that to me is the most exciting thing because I sort of I just think sex becomes a lot more exciting and playful and fun when you throw the rule book out and and start Mm. from fresh 
Amazing. Or just make your own rule book, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, and Ruby, please tell everyone a bit about your book um, and where they're going to be able to get it, a little bit about what it's about. Obviously, it's about sex education, the clues in the name, but I would love people to check it out and to know a bit more. And I think that it would be a really good introduction for people who are thinking that they want to explore this space a bit more. And I know you cover such a huge range of topics in it, but um, I'd love to oh, hear, or in your, your own words, I guess, how you would describe it. Well, that's very nice to hear again. Um, I'm going to have to get better at taking compliments, aren't I, if, if people like the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the book is called Sex Ed, A Guide for Adults. And it's a lot of the education that we all deserved to receive as younger people, but probably didn't. And then on top of that, because we're all grown ups, we can talk about things in an explicit, really fun and pleasure focused way. Um, it's illustrated by an incredible illustrator called Sophie Birkin. So it's full of genuinely really sexy drawings. Like we wanted the, we wanted people to be able to be kind of turned on by the drawings. And I think that Sophie did an amazing job of that. And it covers such a broad range of topics, all from a sex positive and pleasure focused point of view, but kind of all of the basics of sex sort of like from real like how to do different sexual acts, but also thinking about sex and society, thinking about kink, uh, talking about like sex as a survivor of sexual assault, um, thinking about our bodies and the connection that we have to our genitals, just a whole load of stuff that I really hope will be a great jumping off point for people to learn more and kind of um, continue this journey in their own lives. Um, and yeah, it's I know it's available right now on Waterstones and Amazon, but in hopefully in all good bookshops. Uh, if you want this in a local like independent bookshop of yours, please get in touch and ask because that means that they are a lot more likely to look into it and to stock it. So I'm very pro indie uh bookshops where possible amazing um i really recommend everyone reads it i'm going to be buying copies and giving them to everyone for christmas oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but ruby thank you so much for your time your insight um you know for me this is this podcast has been such um, a passion project and as i said at the start you know the whole thing is about moving this conversation forward helping people to be more sex positive, but in a way that works for them. And I hope that this conversation is a part of that. Oh, well, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on. I've loved listening to the podcast as well. So I am very hopeful that there will be a second series because I think you're brilliant and I want to hear more of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> yes, I have. I've got my fingers and my toes and my eyes crossed because these, these are like... <laughs> All of your, all, I know, it's my signature. Um, all of the other episodes, like there's just such important conversations being had. So thank you for facilitating this space. Thank you for joining me for this first series of the Sexual Wellness Sessions. I have absolutely loved hosting these conversations with my amazing guests and a huge thank you to all of the sponsors that helped to make this possible. If you have a moment, please could you rate and review the podcast so that more people can find it and you can hear more about what I'm up to on my Instagram, which is at Kate Moyle Therapy.